namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa puttang tammang sankhang namasami And bring attention to the mood of your mind. If this is the uh, last evening and noble silence, and then the the uh, tea time, uh, breaking the noble silence, and then the results of that is what? It's to observe, not to criticize. Let's observe how how sensitive the mind is and how it, it easily gets stimulated and excited and, and uh, the habit formations start taking off. And you know, when we say when we, we don't stimulate the mind, they go into kind of sensory deprivation or silence, fasting, uh, you know, like not eating food, silence, and darkness, and whatnot. Then, uh, once you get used to these, then they, there's a sense of peacefulness because nothing is being stimulated through the senses. Very little, minimal stimulation. So that you be, you just see that it's not to how, what sensitivity is about. It's like that, isn't it? If you, if you don't stimulate, then, the, then eventually the, the sense of the, the mind will calm down. If there's nothing kind of irritating or agitating, or it's a minimal amount. If you go to, uh, you know, to a place where there's a lot of noise and, and action and violence and whatnot, then, then the then the mind gets very stimulated, excited, uh, horrified, repelled. I mean, sometimes when you hear about in wars where people just see too many horrible things happen uh, and they go into kind of a shock because emotionally they can't, they can't uh, cope with it. It's too, too horrible for the emotions. They go into kind of a, a, kind of a, a shut off way of, of dealing with, with the horrors. But just on the level of, of a meditation retreat and then the, and the eight precepts, the silence and the calming down, the, the, the ordered life, uh, the schedule, all of this, and then say then the tea break and the and, and kind of going back to talking and and the, and the effect of that is, what is it? You can observe just in, in your own, what your mood is right now, the, the way you're feeling. Now what is your, do you like the way you're feeling or you don't like the way you're feeling? That's, you know, it's not a matter of liking, it's just noting. 
you have one, uh, and, and that's that's just trust in that being able to observe and witness uh, and no, and notice the tendency to to make uh, to be critical or to to not want something to be the way it is, or when something is very very nice and very peaceful, then the desire to want it to stay that way, this wanting desire to be understood, to be observed. So life is like this in this form we're in, isn't it? It's, it's this way. It's a sensitive state. It's going to be, it's, uh, it's naturally irritated and agitated. Uh, this is it's, this is what being uh, a, a conscious, sensitive form is all about. So we see the Dharma of it. We we're we're reflecting on the way it is. The refuge is in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, not in not in me and my opinions anymore, or I, good ideas that I've had or, I, or, or somebody else has. It's this way. Now one can have a, a mind that's confused and, not, and, and, be, and when you're aware of it as, let's say, the mood you're in is a confused state, to be non-averse to it. If you're if you're really looking at it, accepting it as a mood rather than as a personal problem, when it becomes a personal problem, then then we start wanting to have a nice peaceful mind rather than a confused one. We'd like to have bliss and happiness rather than pain and and uh, disappointment. But learning to really take refuge in, in the Buddha then allows for this kind of all-embracing awareness, which is, which is accepting the whole lot for what it is. It's been learning how to be patient and, and to uh, not create, not, not complicate the way it is with desires and fears. And the more you realize this as your, as what you can, how you can practice in this way, you begin to see this way clearly, then of course it's, uh, you know, allay the, uh, the anxieties, worries, and all of it, all of your human uh, experiences will be part of your development, will be the path. Now the pattern of consciousness is is like one is there's the birth of the body so that so that the subject again I reiterate the subject 
and the object experience, his conscious experience. Then we have the pattern, don't we, of the conditioned and the unconditioned. This is the paradigm, universal paradigm. And the and conscious being conscious uh, as a as a separate entity, a separate being, is to see this uh, paradigm in the ordinary mundane uh, realities of of the sense uh, consciousness that we that that affects us. <coughs> so it's it's not a matter of choosing the unconditioned over the conditioned, isn't it? It's like so we're saying once the conditions are all gone, then we just, with the unconditioned in a state of permanent bliss, that's not the way we're ever going to, in the state we're in, we're, we're, we're not, that's not the way life is going to be for any of us. You can't just live in a sensory deprivation tank or in a dark room. Uh, you know, it's not that you're going to sit under the Bodhi tree one, and just watch your breath till, till you die. The Buddha couldn't do that. It's not, not like staying with the with, uh, idealizing and and grasping uh, views about the unconditioned, and then seeing the c- conditions are are just you know they're all a Nietzsche dukkanata, which means a way of sort of saying they're worthless. We can say you know like with one that uh, kind of wants to put down the conditioned world. It's, it's all just impermanent unsatisfactory and not self. That's the, that's the way the conditioned world is, uh, which is, uh, is not reflective awareness of it. It's, it's merely taking an opinion, but the condition, attaching to the opinion that the conditioned world is, is, is impermanent, unsatisfactory, suffering, and it's not self. And, and so you're not, you're not transcending the world. You're merely uh, attaching to views about the world that it is a certain way or the conditions are as a way of dismissing or kind of denying or rejecting conditioned phenomena but that's not mindfulness wisdom so I know that people do that Buddhists can do that. They can just use anicca dukkanata as a as a put down. But bringing into awareness the 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 universal paradigm of the condition arises and ceases of the unconditioned, the relationship of arising ceasing in the unconditioned. From the perspective uh, of a conscious being, and that's what what mindfulness is, being able to 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 see that in the little things of life, in the in the ordinariness of life, like uh, space and form, or or uh, silence and thought, or the uh, these the uh, non-grasping and grasping, a sense of self and, and, and a realization of non-self. Anger and non-anger, greed and non-greed, hatred 
uh, or delusion, non-delusion. We have viraka niroda nibbana. When when a monk ordains, he gets after his ordination ceremony, he gets what they call a admonition, in which he his uh, the aim for being a Buddhist monk is to realize viraga, which is desirelessness. Uh, niroda, cessation, and nibbana, non-grasping, realizing it, not believing in it. There's a difference, isn't there? To believe in desirelessness somehow doesn't... silly. To believe in non-grasping is... Uh, is is getting, you know, is is uh, going to make you suffer a lot because uh, these are these needn't be believed in. They are they are realizations. It's reality. Mm-hmm. And so, with mindfulness, we realize when there's non-grasping. So recognize it. That like I've noticed in in just my own uh, practice that when I think about myself habitual thinking about myself, then then uh, there's always this sense of suffering. When I'm not thinking, not grasping thought, and about myself, then there's, 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 I notice there's no suffering. Just watch with, with the Anapanasati, with the breathing. If you're just, if you're just mindful of the breath, there's no suffering. When you're trying to uh, do something about developing a practice, because somebody who's practicing anapanasati and needs to develop samadhi and has and can't do it, and that, then there's all kinds of suffering. And it's not it's because there's there's not there's no longer mindfulness of the breath. There's grasping the idea that you're somebody who has to do it, and and then the feeling maybe frustrated because you can't do it the way that you perceive you should be able to. And so grasping the idea of mindfulness of the breath is suffering, but actually mindfulness of the breath is non-suffering. And this is for you to, to realize, to, to examine. So non-suffering is just that much, isn't it? Just like being with the with the with the exhalation, and and you're, you you can see non-suffering. You can realize the non-suffering in just a little thing like that, and and so it's like, like that's 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 a reflection. That's a mindfulness of the way it is, but bringing it into consciousness. Like, so like like sati is like bringing, be, being able to bring something to conscious, to your consciousness, to notice it. This is the way it is. It's not just kind of like being a, a blank witness and, and uh, a kind of cold-hearted, kind of uh, unfeeling uh, observer of life. You know, your heart seizes up and you just say, you're just watching things go by, you know, totally unfeeling, un, there's nothing there but just a kind of 
cold-hearted watching, calculated observance of things that arise and cease. They're, they're all suffering, they're all unsatisfactory, and none of it's mine. <laughs> Sometimes that's what people think Buddhism is like. Now, when we, with the the problem with conventions is that that we grasp them and the conventions that we have in. In uh, to teach with, uh, because we think we understand them so well, we, we're educated and clever enough people, so we we can we understand them intellectually quite easily. Uh, and so it's that that kind of conceit. There's a conceit there that that you can observe of, uh, of because you understand it intellectually, you think you really understand it. I understand. Yes, I know it. There's a kind of the conceit that 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 uh, is uh, seems to go along with with uh, with our being uh, intelligent beings and and having memories and and having a a, a sense of ourselves and and uh, our the way we can impress ourselves with our own cleverness. So, so that that kind of conceit is also to be, to be uh, noticed. I'm not saying don't be conceited, because that's another kind of conceit. Trying to become somebody who's not conceited is conceited. <coughs> so, conceit's not not the the real problem. It's the it's the not knowing what it is. Once you know what it is, it's no problem. Knowing things as they are, then, is is the is realization of truth. Where when we when we we're coming from the the uh, just the intellectual grasping of things, then then we we figure it all out. We're very clever, and it's all we can get quite excited, enthusiastic, and about it. Buddhism is uh, kind of marvelous teaching, and and we want to go and convert everybody, and and uh, Vipassana is the greatest thing, a wonderful kind of meditation that's going to solve all the problems, and and so forth. But I'm living in a monastery. You realize, like I'm a Vati for a number of years. You're living with you know people who are putting you know dedicated to this practice. Still not easy life. And still, uh, when you've got such a, a high level of commitment and uh, dedication to practice, still not easy place to live in. Because there is still this conceit and and uh, and a lot of desire to attain and and uh, these these a uh, lot of of uh, grasping of views and opinions by clever people. And yet, they can give you good days in us about non-grasping, no self, nibbana, and all that. That's not that's not difficult to do. 
But the realization of it is, is an ongoing practice. And it, and therefore I want to encourage you to keep, keep practicing and to, to do it in little ways. Don't, don't be a kind of big time meditator. Uh, <laughs> don't make a problem about it, but, you know, but to be able to, to just see it in little things of daily life. Bringing it just to, to use like anapanasati as a kind of exercise to, to remind yourself. I just notice when I inhale, no suffering, I can't find any exhaling. Now that there's an awareness of the, particularly of the breath, but there's also uh, an emptiness of the mind. There's no sense of me having to do it or having to get anything from it, uh, at this moment anyway. It's just this way. And then as you, as you mindful of it, ongoing mindfulness, you can see various things like, like doubts coming into the mind or, or um, you know, how the, the tendency to want to control it or or do something about it, or that, then the suffering starts from from uh, from that. The actual breathing itself, being with the breath, mindful of the breath. At that very moment, there's there's non-grasping. There's no self. There's no there's non there's no desire. There's viraka niroda. Nibbana, and as you practice in, the, in just that way, more, more and more, just observing, uh, then then you're, uh, you you begin to realize these as as a, as as a path. I mean, it becomes clear, more and more, increasingly more clear for you what. How to what practice really is, but if you if you get too many ideas about practice, then it one gets stuck with with all kinds of uh, you've got to do this and you've got to get that and you've got to be this way and you've got to get rid of the hindrances. You've got to uh, develop these stages. And not that any of these are wrong. It's not that that these are that you don't have to get rid of the hindrances or there aren't any stages. But the grasping of that those views, uh, let those things just those things will as the, as you practice uh, just in a, in a humble and simple way. Then the the rest takes care of itself. You don't have to worry about the stages or the or the um, um, the hindrances become sources of great wisdom. I see the hindrances as, as uh, like uh, obstacles uh, that are put in your way that you have to use uh, wisdom to learn how to 
to uh, get past or get through or get over. But the word hindrance sounds like you've got to get rid of it. Get rid of it. But then, then the hindrances actually are like, like something's put in your way. You've got, you can you, you, you know, if you're, you have to figure out how to get, get beyond it. And that takes wisdom. So in, like, if greed and lust is one hindrance, or rather than seeing it, just try to, to kind of destroy it with a, like blow it up with dynamite, because you're liable to blow yourself up. You know, you probably end up blowing yourself up rather than the hindrance. So it's better to, to contemplate and how to, how to, how to deal with, with uh, say, greed and lust, and noting that, that it's, that lust, greed is, is uh, what we want, isn't it? It's uh, attractive, it's exciting. So then you, you, from there you, you, you're observing what it is as an experience and then you can, you begin to see more how to, to get beyond it, how to transcend it, through understanding it, not through just trying to destroy it. And then say like greed and lust is the first hindrance and then aversion, the second one. The third one is a sloth torpor or dullness. Then the fourth one is, is uh, agitation, restlessness, worry. Then the fifth is doubt. So these, these, are, the, these are five, what they call the nivaranas or the five hindrances that, uh, that we study and examine. Get to know them. Get to befriend them, you know, find out how to get beyond them. Not just stand in front of them and call them dirty names <laughs> or order them about. With the sound of silence, notice the, uh, I find that also very peaceful, developing the, the ringing nada. And when, when I'm listening to that, there's no sense of a self. Because the self has to arise with thought, doesn't it? If there's no thought, there's no self. There's still a sense of subjective experience, you know, because there's a consciousness. But, but to become somebody, you have to think about yourself. And so, so that uh, when, when you're listening to the sound of silence, the nada, Like my thinking stops. So you're, you're noting, you're noticing that this is just the way it is. It's Dhamma. And, and there's no suffering in that when there's no self. But then, but then the self creeps in by wanting to make something out of it. It gets bored. I mean, there's boredom and restlessness and, and that come into it. Peacefulness, 
Uh, peace is boring, actually. Remember, you know, when I first ordained as a novice, thinking, I just want some peace. I, my mind is a mess. I just want some peace. Just give me some peace. That's all I want. If I can just get peace, that'll be enough. And then after a while, I got some peace. And then I said, what do I do next? <laughs> That's pretty boring. Because the... Uh, when when you when you've got a kind of confused, agitated uh, mind that is in turmoil, you know it's miserable and unpleasant, and you just you can't think of anything more pleasant than peace at that moment. But once there is peace, then what? Like the the Cold War, isn't it? We used to think, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to have peace at the end of the Cold War? <coughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just learn to live with each other in peace as communists and all that, and this tyranny in Eastern Europe and Soviet Union and all that. It ceases and it ends and then we'll have peace. And uh, once that is, once that's finished, then we'll have really real peace. And the, so now it's gone. Where's the peace? <laughs> yeah. And if we do, I think we do, when, when we do have a po- possibility for peace, then we, we, we do things too. Because we, we, we're not, we, we don't understand, we're not, we don't uh, know peace really. We just know that the idea of it is very nice, very pleasant. Especially if your life is a mess and very unpeaceful. With peace, then you, 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 and patience and mindfulness, then, then peace is 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 a, uh, you know, is enough. We're, we're not asking. We 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 don't, we begin to find that uh, and understand peacefulness, but no longer cling to the idea of it, or or want it when it's not there, or or when it's there to start making problems about it by being bored with it. And that's through this uh, uh, mindfulness reflection on the way it is. And you, rea- you realize the kind of uh, profundity of the Buddhist teaching by taking the, the, this, by, by noticing that, that our own experience of life as, a, as an individual conscious being is is then put in terms of the three refuges, the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. It's con- Buddha is conscious. Buddhas can be born. They? You can make Buddha images. Buddha, Gautama Buddha was born. He's a conscious being realizing the Dhamma. And the Dhamma then is the condition unconditioned. And in the religious uh, symbols and religious images that that pattern is is also there like the the um, the the divine the earth and the logos isn't that in, in as as a kind of perennial uh 
symbol, a religious symbol, is is the the like in Christianity you have the Mother Earth, the Heavenly Father, and the Logos, the, the Christ. And so, so in this, this is the the uh, the condition, the unconditioned, and the that which is born from that, which is the the Logos or the Christ or in terms of Buddha of of that which is aware uh, within the limited state uh, of a of a of a temporary birth impermanent birth uh, that will die but in this state we're in then then the in the context of between birth and death there's the enlightenment or the the point between birth and death which is the whole lifespan isn't it uh, that we have say we now we're say we're aspiring. Our intention is to realize the truth, be free from ignorance. So that that the the points of of enlightenment. Don't think of it in in enlightenment as in in a kind of dramatic way, but more in in just being that way more and more by seeing the way things are. You have we have the teaching, we have the Dhamma teachings. They're they're uh, they're to help us to 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 and they're like pointers that the way things are. So the pattern then is like the the conditioned with the unconditioned the paradigm. We t- we we know that we can we can appreciate that intellectually. Then we we apply that. We look at that. We we try to see that pattern in in our own experiences of. Uh, uh, through conscious, through our consciousness, of pleasure and pain, love and hate, like and dislike, right and wrong, good and bad, we can we can uh, see the paradigm in in the relationship of of uh, the space to form and sound to silence. So it's like informing yourself uh, and using the the uh, the ordinariness of life, but as they come, as you as you experience them, as they as as the emotions become apparent, then you you're more trusting and able to resolve those kind of feelings. So in your say. Not that I'm for one moment suggesting that you should all become monks and nuns, but what I'm saying is that it's in the daily life that you really learn uh, how to develop and how and where you 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 need to to you know not to see the retreat here as something that that maybe helps you because of the special conditions and situation that it, that it affords. But most of your life is going to be not here, but wherever you are, at home and with the people that you live with. And it's there that you can integrate your practice more. And don't see that the difficult relationships with your family or or any of these things are obstacles, but they're 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 the 
they're the path themselves, learning how to, how to get beyond these obstacles. Say one's aversion, one's, one's habitual tendencies, one's uh, tendency to, to always fix and hold things in, uh, with, with your perceptions and uh, paralyzing yourself with your own opinions and views and fears. And all of this can be seen as as things I can't cope with that make my life unbearable, or they can be regarded as challenges and opportunities to develop wisdom. And in in uh, in uh, we have when I was in Kuala Lumpur last February, the I stayed with some uh, Chinese Mahayana people who who were very eager to uh, to cure my, my foot. If you notice, my right foot is quite deformed. So, so that uh, everybody wants to cure my right foot. <laughs> so if you want to, to do me a favor, don't try to cure it. <laughs> but anyway, they were very nice people and they, they they took me to this this center in Kuala Lumpur where I had these uh, kind of herbal um, uh, foot baths and whatnot. And and during this time, the the master there was uh, has this uh, kind of teaches uh, qigong and wu qi, which is uh, something similar to tai chi. And so he, the master there in Kuala Lumpur, said, "We'd like to." There's a man in England who would be glad to teach the monks. And so on Saturday mornings we assemble and do Wu Qi. And it's quite interesting because it's a, it's a kind of like one of these Chinese martial arts, but it's, it, it's based on this sense of, of uh, you know, of, of learning the, the kind of yin-yang balance and how when to relax and when to tense and and all that, and it's quite interesting as a physical experience to just to be able to to have a sense of of how to when to push and when to retreat and uh, when to tense and when to relax and and it's the same applies to meditation isn't it it's in dealing with problems uh, oftentimes we we got them you know like a, an American football player you know that you just use brute force to to make your way through, and and uh, that sometimes is you know the, your weakness, just the, the blindness that comes through just attacking something, uh, and not and, and just thinking that brute strength is the is the way to dominate and control everyone. But and the same with your just apply that to your mind, just a willfulness, kind of driving compulsiveness. Uh, will uh, you'll you'll destroy yourself? You'll you'll uh, you'll you'll feel you'll make yourself worse if you're just meditating from from that sense of of compulsiveness and willfulness and and egotistical uh, attitudes for attainments and achievements. So notice there's a time to in when when you're just doing anapanasatya, all these these kind of uh, ordinary practices when to 
when to put forth effort and when to relax. And it's only through mindfulness that you know. It's not a formula that you put forth effort so many counts and then relax so many counts. It's not, it's not like that, is it? It's, it's like, like balance. You know when you're balanced because you feel it. If I, if I should describe someone, you know, they, now to balance yourself, you know, you, you put your right foot and you describe it maybe in perfect detail. And then, then the person understands the, the description, but it takes a while to actually be able to do it. And it's, it's because it's, you know, through, through mindfulness when there's balance and you know when there's imbalance. So when there's suffering and and all that, then there's imbalance, and you're, there's awareness of it. So suffering is the is the is is what we is is a kind of thing that tells us of imbalance. It's it's that using suffering as as the clue, as the sign that reminds us to let go of the causes of suffering. But letting go isn't a kind of just a kind of falling flat on your back and going into sleep, is it? It's it's uh, it's it's learning how to balance, which which is uh, as you practice more and more, you you have that sense for it when to to not do anything, when to just let go, when when to do something, when to when to concentrate the mind, and when to just let go of, of saying not to put any effort when to put forth the right amount of effort that's through through sati or mindfulness that we know that it's intuitive immediate to the moment tomorrow we'll have a morning meeting as usual 5.30 and then at uh, we'll sit I think from at the Time uh, eight thirty to nine fifteen. Then we'll have a uh, a ceremony, blessing ceremony, and give you the five precepts. You'll be off the eight five precepts, and then uh, after that, the whatever happens to retreatants, but. Uh, which probably means that you eat something and then go home. <laughs> or you can stay. But also, uh, just to, that uh, Sunday there's an afternoon talk here. Uh, Venerable Amra will be giving a, a, the Sunday afternoon talk tomorrow at 2. And uh, so that uh, life goes on and re remember that uh, what comes together separates and just uh, try to apply the, these, uh, these suggestions I make to, uh, to the, your daily life and, and uh, really, you know, see that it's not a matter of, of of meditation is doing so many, like doing half an hour, 45 minutes in the morning and so forth, but 
uh, even though that's very good and recommended, it's an attitude towards uh, your life and yourself and and the world around you that's important that will you'll find your your way out of suffering uh, into which you what you do experience will be seen uh, not no longer as uh, from some in a way that that uh, that one feels uh, destroyed or inhibited or lost but seen even the, the most difficult things we have to put up with and experience in our life are, are, is really our path, our way.